Banking with Velocity is an incredible strategy that can transform how you run your business. And that's what we're talking about on today's episode. You are listening to the Champion Hustle Podcast. Play to succeed in business and in life. Featuring Levi Hunsaker and Ryan Black. Hello and welcome to the Champion Hustle Podcast. This is episode number 17. My name is Ryan Black. And my name is Levi Hunsaker. And today we are with a very, very special guest, our dear friend, Christian George. He is somebody who we uh, admire, we respect, we look up to. He is a wealth of knowledge and experience in many areas of business. He's been a serial entrepreneur for many years. He's been in the restaurant industry, uh, investing, consulting, had several different retail outlets. And uh, he's actually been a licensed uh, real estate agent for over 25 years and nearly 20 years as an escrow officer. So he understands the real estate game uh, better than anyone. So we love uh, love having you with us today, Christian. Welcome out to the show. Yeah, welcome, Christian. Me, man, Levi. It's great to be here, man. You guys are awesome. I'm excited. Man, we are super excited to dive into the topic with you today which is you know, velocity banking and implementing some of these really incredible you know, financial and well, banking strategies into running a business. And, and so, um, yeah, this is, this is gonna be just pure gold. I'm so excited to talk to you about this because I know that uh, you know, when we first, at least when I first learned about this strategy, um, as you know, I was running a, a, a business in the uh, video production sp- uh, space. And once I learned this, it was like, oh my goodness, this would transform <laughs> how I was running my business where I had so many challenges with cash flow and just, you know, coming up short, having to pay vendors and employees and things. And it was just so frustrating. I wish it would have completely transformed my business if I had learned it a decade before. So I'll blame you for not teaching me this <laughs> 10 years prior, before I ever knew you. <laughs> It's like the old joke, when the, when is the best time to buy real estate, you know? Yeah. Years ago. Yeah, it's kind exactly. of exactly it's kind of the same with Velocity Bank. <laughs> it is just it's been a it's been a life changer, a true game changer for, for us in our business and so um and I know for Levi as well. So we're so excited to, oh, to dive into it. Um why don't we kind of just kick things off with, you know, what is, can you kind of give a little bit of an introduction and define it for, for our listeners? Kind of what is Velocity Banking and, and why, you know, we're in love with it, but why should they, <laughs> why should they care about, about, about it? What is it? Sure. That's a great question. Ryan. So the way we define Velocity Banking, the way I define it, the way I teach it is what we try and do is use currently existing banking tools, many of which you already have in your wallet, already own, already use every day. And we rearrange the way cash flow comes in and out of our personal finances to greatly reduce the amount of interest we pay on amortized debt over our lifetimes. And for many people, we're talking not just tens of thousands of dollars, but potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars that they could pay in interest. And so the cool thing about it is it's something that we already have access to. It's something we already know. We have a relationship with a bank. We have most likely a credit card or two or five or 15 we, you know, we already have some accounts that we use and we can go right in and start changing the way we flow money in and out of our personal finance and in very short order, find immediate access to cash flow, which then in turn changes our debt structure. And that's, that's what we do. It's super fun. One of the, one of the favorite, one of my favorite, uh, I guess, sayings 
from in learning the uh, you know the principles of velocity banking is it's not magic it's math <laughs> because for a lot of people when they first they, you know they really dive into it and really understand how it works they're like wait this is <laughs> this is some witchcraft like how does this work it's simply math it really is it, it's totally true and a lot of people think ah oh, you can't do this this is illegal and and it's not the the thing is is it's not taught by financial institutions today because we've kind of done a funny thing in this country is we've left our 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 financial education not to be taught in families or at homes or in secondary education formats, but we leave it to kind of just people to figure out on their own. And so then what happens is the financial institutions in the game, they create content and they create education to help people use their services. Well, they have a bias. What are they going to teach? They're going to teach the products <laughs> that are making the most money. And so that's what they've done. For literally decades, banks have taught us to use amortized mortgages to purchase houses and they've taught us to use amortized debt because it does a really specific thing for them. It creates a contracted payment over an extended period of time. And contracted payments have a lot of value. They have a lot of dollar value, cash value. Banks broker them, they sell them. It's what created the, um, you know, mortgage-backed securities market that, you know, led to the Great Recession. It's this concept of taking contracted payments over time is almost a guaranteed or a promised stream of income and then monetizing it. And banks have become experts at doing that. So what they want to do is they want to keep you in payments on loans for as absolutely long as they possibly can. And, you know, we've seen it even go out where new loan products can go 40 or 50 years. Wow. Well, and, and, you know, one of the, one of the things is, is so many, so little people or so few people understand amortized debt and how amortization works and so i'm and actually we you know we learned this from you when uh after you know all of the uh, uh dodd frank and all the changes that happened after the the crash you know back in 08 with uh, some of those modifications that got rid of the hud one brought in the you know the new closing disclosures uh, in real estate to where now in the cd they actually um they actually cite you know on page five or whatever your total interest percentage, which yeah. was not disclosed as clearly as it used to be. So people are thinking, oh, I got a, a 5% interest rate on my mortgage. This is awesome. And then they look and see the total interest percentage and it's like 90% you it, know, interest or whatever. But it's still buried all the way at the back. <laughs> it is. It's at the end of it. The, the irony of that, and I love the tip number. It's often referred to as your tip number, right? It's kind of like a way to look at your true cost of money and find out how much it is going to cost you over the life of this loan. Well, I think we're still artificially lower in the market than we should be, right? When I started in the in the title industry and I was closing refinances and mortgage loans consistently um, in the early 2000s, it was not uncommon for us to see rates at seven, eight, nine. And what that would result in um, is over the life of that loan, the consumer on a 30-year mortgage product is going to pay three or four times the value of the asset they've just purchased. Whereas right now, where we have kind of artificially low because of the Great Recession, and now we're going into COVID, where we have artificially low interest rates, we're seeing that as you know double the cost of the home. And, and that's just not something that is sustainable or consistent. I mean, we're experiencing kind of an extended period of time where it's going to be in play for you know, probably 15, maybe even 20 years. But really that tip number 
in the future is going to look at something like 150 or 200 percent of the cost of the home and that's going to be common and it's not going to be whack and it's not a bad program banks aren't evil that's kind of my soapbox i i get talking about them everybody's like oh financial institutions suck and i'm like no they don't you need them you have to have somebody to lend you money i mean you don't have to but sure makes business and life easier when somebody's willing to give you some some money and you're willing to pay a fair market rate for it so i love banks and i love credit unions and i love those who can see a vision and a value in doing business and creating commerce and you know it's really a powerful a powerful concept because there's there's not an evil player money's not evil money is not the root of all evil money is not it's it's nothing more than a tool it's just a simple way we measure and interest rates ironically enough are the same they're nothing more than a tool it's simply the way that we can gauge our relationship as a borrower with a lender. The higher the interest rate, the less confidence or faith that lender has in me and my collateral. And you, you can reverse that. The lower interest rate you have, the more confidence that lender is going to have in you and your ability to repay Yeah, yeah that's, that's excellent. Um, you mentioned something about, you know, where we're learning our information. And, and this type of stuff, we're doing ourselves, I believe, a very big disservice in not teaching our young people as they are, you know, taking on life challenges. They're they're turning 18. They're getting out into the world, and they don't understand how to manage finances. So, what are some of the biggest challenges that you can propose to the way that we've been taught how to manage our money? Well, one of the things that that's really common in what we're taught, really, and we learned it from the last couple of generations, right? The kind of ideal way to process and grow through life was to, you know, get a really stable, stable job, have a, have a good 401k or a good pension plan, and you know, work into it for for 30 years. And then at the end of 30 years, that pension plan, that company was going to take care of you for the rest of your life, where those 401k savings would be enough to carry you through retirement. We we know now that's simply not the case with the average age that people are living and how hard we work and and our health improving, we're living many, many, many more years in retirement. When Social Security was established, they were expecting people to live on average three to five years in retirement. So it was a great system that worked well, right? Because people were passing away at an average age of 71, 72, and they're living for a very short period of retirement. That's just not the case now. I mean, retirement is 20 and 30 and even 40 years for people. And so with that concept, it became very easy to say, listen, let the pension company of the or let the pension system of the company invest the dollars invest my retirement savings and then they're going to take care of me for life right or let the 401k or mutual fund investor manage my funds because they know better and they're going to give me a healthy return and then i'm going to have enough money to live and we know now that that doesn't work pensions have gone away companies are reducing them government pension systems are being attacked because they don't have enough sustainable money in the system to keep paying people living for 20 and 30 and 40 years. And so what that has created is is independent retirement accounts or individual retirement accounts, IRAs as a response, right? And IRAs are a great tool, but at the same time, if I put all of my money from my W-2 job, I have an amazing W-2 job, which I love right now, and I, and I keep it because I choose to, not because I have to. I love what I do, which is carrying this message of cash management and cash flow understanding and velocity banking in the masses. And I do that through my company that I work for, which is 
Brunanis. They're absolutely fantastic. I just love them. And, and I do that by choice because that allows me to then invest in real estate and do all these other things. And, and, but what happens with the companies is then they come back and say, man, you know, just give us your money. And, and we rely on them. But what we found out is that less than, less than 6% of money managers in the stock market where your mutual funds are placed, right, can outperform the index or outperform the standard market on its own. So that means 93% of the people don't outperform the market who manage our money. That's problematic to me, right? And so with that, what we've learned is the best people to manage our money is ourselves. Because I care about my dollars more than anybody else. And because of that, um, sorry for the rings there. I, I thought I had all my programs on my computer closed <laughs> out. I'm still getting signals. But um, what that tells us is that as a result of that, banks have known and, and mutual fund managers and, and you know a lot of financial institutions have learned that people don't have confidence in themselves to manage their own money. And so they can take them and they can take the funds of people and charge a flat fee or a fixed fee or even a performance fee and have performance bonuses. And whether they perform well without investors' retirement funds, they get paid either way. And and that's a bummer because when those accounts lose money, which many of us experienced if you had any money in the stock market, right, in 2008, you saw the value of your portfolio cut in half or even more drastically than that. And all of a sudden, decades of earnings have been wiped away, then they still got paid. Those money managers still got paid. And so that's been the perpetuation in the system. And it's not anyone's fault. I don't fault the money managers. I don't fault the mutual funds. They're doing business in a way that makes their shareholders and their owners lose money. I just think that we should do our own money management because that's gonna we're gonna care about our dollars and we have the ability with a little bit of education to do so much better. And that's really the goal, right? Um, there's a lot of myths out there about money management. You know, we've brought up, you know, what did the banks teach? Well, they teach us to do the products that make them the most money. It just is. It just really is that simple. They're going to keep selling us or tell us that we can't participate in, in investing that they can't get a share of, that they can't garner some earnings on. And for example, if you went to, you know, say uh, a brokerage out there today to manage your 401k and say, man, you know, my friend, he's getting some really great returns in real estate, for example. Um, so I'd like to take a little bit of my portfolio that I have with you, Mr. Schwab, and, and move it into real estate. He's going to tell you that you can't do that says you can't do that and the truth is it's not that you can't do that with your retirement funds it's that he can't his company prevents him from giving you the opportunity to invest in real estate unless it's you know a huge REIT, which is a real estate investment trust or a different kind of vehicle where your margins and your rate of return go way down so so it's up to us as the consumer to find out what's available to us and how we can do it better and then take advantage of the tools out there like self-directed IRAs to help us do it um, and that's, that's a lot about what we teach about. I don't go in the class. I start with the core. Like when I teach velocity banking, I start with the core concept of cash flow management and how important it is. And then I leave investing up to much smarter people than I am who can teach you about how to self-direct your IRA, you know, specific strategies for investing in real estate. It's just awesome. There's a ton of great content out there. But first off, we got to find the money to invest and manage our money better. Right. And that, and that is the first. And don't cut yourself short now. 
you've been investing a long time <laughs> and I know, and I've, I've seen some of the deals that you've done. You're a very tenured investor, but uh, I appreciate your, your humility. The, um, you know, you, you brought up got a, good, a lot of good points there, Christian, about how, you know, the, there was kind of the old way of how people did things that, that just simply doesn't work anymore. And to get the best results, you really have to take ownership, in other words, for your, not only your, obviously your financial present, your financial future, your retirement and your money. And I think that that applies even more when we're talking about, you know, the entrepreneur, the small business owner, somebody that either has an existing small business or is thinking of launching a small business. And they're saying, hey, um, you know, I've run my analysis. I've got my plan. I've kind of figured out how things are going to run or how they're running. But, you know, for whatever reason, cash flow is tight, right? Because of the operations of how their business runs. And that's where, well, there's multiple benefits, but that's one of the huge benefits with the Velocity Banking program to be able to um, mitigate that, right? And so um, could, you, could you share some thoughts about that? Uh, I know I have uh, you know, personal experiences and, and other people's that I've heard as well, but just kind of your insight on, on you know, some of those benefit, key benefits of Obviously, saving, you know, you can have interest savings off of the, any, any debts that you have on the business, but being able to more effectively um, handle and manage the, the, you know, the ingress and egress of funds within a business using Velocity Banking and how that gives you more flexibility. Sure. Well, it starts in, in as the class talks about, it's all about cash flow management. And you brought that up, Brian. So what we do is we start you out with an analysis of, of your cash flow. Whether you're a business or you're looking at your personal and individual finances, cash flow is the lifeblood of your business. It's everything you do. And so we take a hard look. We look at how your cash flows in, how your cash flows out, what your payables are, what your receivables are. We're finding the balance of when and how we can manipulate those to more effectively yield a higher amount of cash in our business. Now, one of the things, one of the concepts of, of, of velocity banking is really simple. It's that the more cash you have together in one place working for you, the more quickly you can retire debt and pay less in interest. Now, the opposite of that is true. What the banks teach us to do is they teach us to put little amounts of money in multiple accounts across several platforms, right? I don't know if you've had the opportunity to take your, your a child or some young person into a bank to get the first checking account, right? It's awesome. You walk in, you say, my son just, my son just turned 16. He's getting a job. He's going to have his first paycheck. And we need a checking account to deposit this check into. And the bankers are like, yeah, this is great. We're so excited to have you. And then they start to tell you about the other things they do. They say, well, if you've got a checking account, you probably want to have a savings account so you can put a little bit more money in and set that aside for the rainy day or if you're saving for, you know, a car or some big purchase. And you go, okay, that makes sense. And then they go, well, now, in addition to that, if you want immediate access to your, your cash, we're going to have to get you a debit card. So you don't have to write a check or anything. Out of your checking account, we can give you a debit card. So there's your third one, right? And they go, but, you know, even better than that. Now, let's help you build some credit. Let's get you our bank visa card, which will also be a tied to all of your accounts, which is at 9.9%, and we'll give you a $1,000 credit limit, and that can also be your overdraft for your checking account, just in case something bad happens. And then you're thinking, okay, well, all of a sudden, there's four different accounts, right? And then they continue on saying, now, I know that you're thinking, not really thinking about college just quite yet, 
but you want to save some money and, and you don't want to just put that money in your savings account. You want to put that money into a money market account because instead of getting one tenth of percent interest rate, we're going to give you a whole one percent interest rate on your money in your money market account. So you say, well, better get that right. Exactly. And then you get all excited. And then I say, now, now we've talked about a lot of things, but long-term savings, if you put just $50 away today in a CD, a certificate of deposit account, we can give you a guaranteed, guaranteed return in five years. We'll give you 3%. It's going to be awesome. And so all of a sudden, at the end of that day, you went in to open a single account and you walk out of the bank with six or seven different accounts. And the bank loves that because they take all of our paycheck and they use this concept of segregation of income and they put it into all these different individual accounts because it doesn't have as much power. So we start off in velocity banking and squash that. We want your income from your business or we want your income from your personal finances to hit the same account, the same place and have power together because our dollars have more power when they're together, right? When we yeah, that's, see that. Oh, go sorry, ahead. keep going, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, when we see that and we have that available cash resource, because what do we hear in investing? What do they say in investing about cash? Cash is what? King. Cash is cash, king, cash is king. Right? So we got to get our cash together and we've got to do it in a real serious and very calculated manner. And so we do that by starting to track a budget. We look at our expenses and all that kind of stuff. We know what comes in and what goes out every single month. But all of a sudden, when we have those two understandings of how much we have available and we keep it all together and what needs to come in and out on a, on a monthly or weekly basis, whether we're managing business or personal finance, then we could start to see how much we have to work with and how much we can and the concept of velocity banking is then we take a different kind of tool. We leverage a line of credit and account or any type of revolving credit account, such as a credit card, that will then allow us to go in and use that as an operating account for our business or our personal finances. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you gave us a few things to watch out for in separating all of the income. What are some other things that we can watch out for? We keep hearing this term of cash flow, right? Cash flow is king. Mm -hmm. So what are things to watch out for when considering how we manage and optimize our cash flow? That's a great thing. So one of the things that I first go after, I first talk about, and this is where, you know, I'm kind of the anti-Dave Ramsey and anti-Susan Norman guy. I love them. They teach, both of them teach fantastic content and teach people great ways to get out of debt and hopefully build for retirement. My, my problem with both their technique, techniques in, in teaching people how to get out of debt is they focus on one single debt at a time and not on cash flow at all. They say, okay, you got to get to a point where you're making more money than you're spending. So that's their first rule, not budgeting, right? The next thing they talk about is they said, okay, pick, pick one account with your lowest balance and pay that off, pay everything extra, pay that off every month until, until you get that one paid off. And then we're gonna take all the money from that monthly payment and move it to the next lowest balance account. That's called the snowball effect. Now, when you do that, you can pay off and retire large amounts of debts faster than other ways that you could do it, right? And, and that's a good thing. But what that also does to me is it puts us as the consumer in a position to say, hey, I'm not sophisticated to do any math at all. I don't know which is best and I don't know how to manage my money. So I'm going to follow a system where I don't have to think. And that's what gets us into trouble because we do that. And then at the end, when we come to a position where we're either debt free or financially flexible and we can 
we can get to a point where we can say, man, okay, I'm really starting to work. I'm going to start saving for retirement. And no matter what we do, if you plan on living 25 or 35 years in retirement, you could save 100% of your income today and not be able to maintain your lifestyle for 30 years in retirement. That's my issue. I'd save 100% of my W-2 income today, 100%. Not pay my mortgage, not live, you know, make car payments, not go on vacation, not buy groceries. And I still wouldn't have enough money to maintain the lifestyle I live out today in retirement for 20 years. Just 20 years. And so that's the problem with that system. The pitfalls that we really get sucked into is this thought of, you know, the, the multiple accounts and how bad they are for us. I love Dave and Susie because they say, you've got to attack your debt and you've got to get rid of it. Well, what most American families are fighting now is an average of over $16,000 in credit card debt with about $600 a month in payments. So that's the average American household. Some households will be twenty, forty, or $60,000 in consumer credit card debt. So that's really the hard thing. And what happens is the pitfall they want us, and it's that same segregation of income concept, is they want you to have a Citibank card for, for $1,000, and they want you to have a Home Depot card for $5,000, and they want you to have a Sears card for, well, nobody shops at Sears anymore, but <laughs> they want you to have, uh, you know, whatever, whatever credit card. So all of a sudden, you've got your money going every month to 10 different minimum payments, right? That's one of the hardest things, is because each each payment is going to have a factored amount of the overall balance on the card, or it's going to have a mandatory minimum payment. And when we do that, instead of making one payment, we really pay down interest and principal at the same time. We're just making minimum payments to multiple accounts across multiple lenders. And that's, that's what gets people stuck in the debt trap. So that's the number one thing, is look out for the multiple accounts and start to manage that cash flow better. The next is we got to get rid of what, you know, John Commuter referred to as the CIA. We fall victim to the CIA in our personal finances. And the CIA is convenience, indulgence, and basically stuff that you're entitled to, right? That you deserve. I deserve that because I'm special. So we make purchases as consumers based on convenience, indulgence, and what I can have, what I can have. And when we do that, we spend beyond our means. So if we look at just those two things of making decisions on, you know, the old adage, you know, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. If we live that premise in our lives, all of a sudden we see that our dollars can grow so much further. We can have more cash flow to retire debt, do vacation, start to invest in whatever it is, real estate, properties, businesses, whatever you want to build. It all requires capital, and sure, we can use other people's money to do it, but when we have a little bit of our own, we can move so much faster. Wow. Yeah, it is. The thing is, is what's so interesting, I love what you're saying. The banks, obviously, everything that they do is going to benefit. They do what benefits them most, but the changes, and as we, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of giving a, you know, a real high-level overview here of, of uh you know, some of the tenets of velocity banking and some of these strategies. But when you really, once you dial, you know, understand A to Z, every single aspect, the there, there are lots of incremental changes that you make. It's not like this massive, huge thing. It's just lots and lots of little, small incremental changes that when you combine them together, produce massive results. 
<laughs> can, can completely transform how you're running your personal finances, how your business, you know, whether your business is staying afloat or whether you're going underwater. It is, um, yeah, it's really just yeah. little things. So, so talking about those massive changes, um, I want to share a story, my sister's story. And she's given me permission to share this, but um, she has had some, some medical troubles and had to stop working. When that happened, she got into a position with her family finances where they were negative 500 bucks a month cash flow. Basically, they did not have enough money to meet all of their obligations at the end of the month. And by taking all of the, this knowledge and, and learning velocity banking, she was actually able to flip that on her head and flipped it to a positive $700 a month cash flow. So that is a $1,200 a month swing just from understanding the principles of managing your own finances, understanding how to manage debt better and to make it work for you instead of you working for your debt. And it's been an amazing thing for her and her family to be able to, to flip that around and to have the stress and the pressure lifted off. It's just been awesome to watch. It's night and day, right, Levi? I mean, it just goes all the way through the process. I remember when I really dove down into the concept and I was like, because I was skeptical like everybody else. I'm like, there's no way you're paying off your mortgage <laughs> in seven years. And you, you really can't. And I was like, because I'm managing cash flow on businesses and really focused. And I know how, how impactful and how tight it can be in the concept of coming up with an extra, you know, 5000 or $50,000 a year to pay down your principal balance on a mortgage was just, you know, it just didn't seem like a possibility. But when I really learned the, the principles of it, where you're using lines of credit to be a warehousing account, your operating account for your business, and you're clearing all of your expenses out of there by putting all of your income there first, and then seeing what happens at the end as you gain that $500 or $700 or $1,200 a month, it just is truly life-changing. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen for students where they free up. Um, me personally, I freed up $457 the first month I really started to apply the principal in capital. 457 bucks, right? And your sister freed up 1200 And I've heard stories where people are freeing up two and $3,000 by simply looking at where it flows differently, you know? And then they begin to use that extra cash flow to retire debt, pay down debt, pay down debt, pay down debt. But what that does is it reduces phenomenally the amount of interest that they have. And we've seen people go through the process and become completely debt-free in five years or seven years or 10 years or less. And, and it really, it just takes all that pressure and weight off. That's what I love about it. You know, you talk about having a good feeling when you go home at night and you know you've got enough reserves there. We talk about how much you should have, how to establish a reserve account, where you can keep your reserves, right? But when you have those in place and you're not stressed, something can happen tomorrow. There can be a major accident. You might have a hospital bill come up and it's not gonna put you under. You don't have to worry about a bankruptcy. It changes everything. Yeah, and you, you mentioned being able to free up that cash flow. And just a word of caution, that doesn't mean to go do that CIA approach and go buy that brand new boat that you've been looking at, right? Oh. It's it's not about the have it now. It's really, if you continue to manage your money poorly, this is going to be a bigger problem for you. Absolutely. Because you can dig yourself deeper and deeper into debt. But if you learn how to manage it, in, in a positive way and retire that debt, that's the true power of it. 
It's truly true. And Levi brings up a good point. I mean, people, we have experience of students who have done it both, right? I've heard the horror stories of where they freed up the cash flow. And now because they're deposited, they've, they've retired some debt, re-raised their finances, they can go out and borrow. They can borrow more money. They can refinance. They can get a HELOC on their house. And all of a sudden they have access to 50 or 100 grand. So what do they do? They go buy a boat, they go remodel their house, they go on the big vacation that they promised they would go on for 10 years. And then they come back and are disciplined and those bills have ratcheted right back up. And I think, in, in my opinion, truly, I think that's why, you know, Dave and Susie harp on it so much is because they just have known so many people who've fallen into that trap. My personal belief is that we're smart beings. We have the ability to monitor our money, monitor our cash flow and do better. And when we do, the potential interest savings over lifetimes, just think of that. Think of retiring your home mortgage in 10 years instead of 30. That's 20 years of potential payments and potential interest savings. I mean, that's literally two thirds of your payments. If your payment's a thousand bucks a month, that's 240 payments of a thousand, $240,000, it's crazy. And what do we do with that? Well, we, we build a better future. We build a legacy for our family. We invest. We, we put ourselves on a, a path to financial flexibility and passive income through real estate and all the other fun stuff. A little bit of knowledge goes a heck of a long way. Yes, it does. Makes all the difference. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Christian, so much for, for uh, joining us today and being being here with us. The, the, I mean, we could we could sit here all day and talk about this this topic. It is very. We've only scratched the surface, um, which is is uh, unfortunate because I guess the format of the show is you know is a little bit shorter. But um, you know, for for those of you who are interested in connecting with Christian and uh, learning more about him, simply go to his website, which is cashflowwins.com. Cashflow wins. And, uh, and then you can uh, connect with him and uh, learn a little bit more about what he is, who he is, and what he's doing. So thank you again, Christian, for, for taking time to join with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure being with you. Call me out again. We'd love to do it again in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for all of you, uh, our wonderful listeners and viewers online, we just want to remind you that championhustle.com is the website where you can find all the links for signing up on the different platforms, as well as we've got our YouTube channel and our Facebook group. We'd love to have you join us there so that we can interact and get to know you a little bit better. And next week, Levi, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we invite you guys to join us to challenge your definition of success. Awesome. Look forward to seeing you then. Until then, take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Champion Hustle podcast. For more great content and to join our online community, visit us at championhustle.com. Mm-hmm.